Welcome back to another Impact Night on Impact Escape Leadership. This is episode 102. I'm your host, Adi Green, for I Just Run the Third. Tonight's times are Charles Big CD and Carrie Scott, Nina Taylor, and Dr. Maricela Jimenez. The loving Miss Nina Taylor, please say hello to the people. Hello. How is everybody? Wonderful. And Charles Big CD and Carrie Scott, please say hello to the people. Hello to everyone once again. It's Big C, the Encourager, and it's a blessing and a privilege to be on with everyone today to share some good news. Good to have you back, sir. And Dr. Maricela Jimenez, Dr. MJ for short, please say hello to the people once again. Hi, um, good evening, everyone. Again, thank you for having me on your podcast. Uh, I look forward to having an exciting conversation with the rest of the team. Absolutely. Well, tonight's going to be a night of testimony. And uh, with that being said, the topic for tonight is 100 and Beyond Anti-Bullying Campaign Post-Pandemic Plan Part 2. According to a report from the CDC, that's the Center for Disease and Control, one out of 12 teens have attempted suicide. And one in six high school students have seriously considered it. Young people, especially those living in poverty, often bring with them to school multiple challenges, multiple barriers, impeding their learning and development. Now, understanding the underlying problems behind behavior and promoting behavior replacement strategies can help dramatically reduce or even eliminate these behaviors. Those necessary coping skills to help withstand the blows of this worldwide pandemic have resulted in many, many casualties. Those casualties include sickness, joblessness, lack of core values, and even death. As a result of these unforeseen turn of events, adolescents, students in particular, located in urban and rural communities alike, will need guidance. It is crucial that you listen in and that you share this conversation that we will have tonight that we have entitled 100 and Beyond Anti-Bullying Campaign Post-Pandemic Plan for School Reentry. You know, first I want to pull on Big CD Encourager. Uh, Scott, you have been a mentor. You've even mentored me. you mentored so many. Uh, please tell the listeners a little bit about what you're doing currently, sir. You're doing so much. Well, Isaiah, once again, I want to uh, thank you, first of all, for allowing us the opportunity to come on and share. Uh, there are literally thousands of people you could have called on on today, and we just give God the glory, and we're blessed to be here. What we're currently working on right now is still yet, uh, you know, we've been doing our radio show now for some um, 15 years. Uh, God has blessed us to be on about 14 14 stations across the country. Uh, basically, our format is to play music that encourages, inspires, and uh, pushes people toward the kingdom of God. And then we have manifold interviews with people from all walks of life that we have a chance to do. Uh, also, we are mentoring in uh, two various high schools here in Tarrant County, Texas, as well as doing uh, voice work for uh, various entities, businesses across the country, uh, some film acting as well, and just basically just daily asking God, who can we encourage as we go through this life? And 
That's just in a nutshell what we're doing right now, Isaiah. Big C, they carried you. You were very humble with <laughs> what you're doing. You know, I, I, you know, I met you at the Potter's House. Um, I've, I've been in many plays with you on stage um, at the Potter's House and uh, many other platforms. Uh, you've worked with countless artists, especially in the, the gospel sector and in also R&B. And even rock and roll, I mean, you have just really covered, uh, worked with, and I believe your spouse worked with Steve Martin. So the legacy that you have is perfect for tonight's discussion. I, I want to kind of talk about some of your encounters. And what I mean by some of your your encounters or your experiences. So I'm, I'm asking that you would uh, let us walk with you uh, through your world, through, you know, how you uh, developed, how you grew up. Uh, as a child, uh, and what you learn as it relates to bullying, okay? It's, it's going to be a testimony. This is going to be testimony night. And so with that being said, was there bullying in your environment growing up that you were that you were exposed to or that you even experienced? And if so, how was it a challenge for you in your youth if you experienced it? And if you did experience it, from the inside, then I would ask you to share with the listening audience something I believe that is key with this topic and that's empathy and why is empathy so important for students who have been impacted or who have been exposed or experienced bullying. Can we walk with you tonight? And could you kind of just, you know, trust us to listen in and hear your side of the story? Most certainly. Um, one thing I've, I've found out when you get to be my age, you get to be in your in your 60s, uh, you begin to learn how to be even more transparent with your life because you realize whether you rose, fell, sunk, or swam, uh, still it's going to be a help to someone somewhere in your life encounters. And to answer part one of your question, uh, did I deal with bullying at any level on a personal basis? Yes, I did. Uh, I grew up in the um, 60s and 70s as a youth, and in the around the eighth, ninth grade, I did deal with bullying from the aspect of this. Um, used to um, ride my bicycle halfway to school. I don't know why it was halfway. I guess it was just something that we did. And then we would walk the rest of the way. Well, one day I uh, came home, I came back on my way home to get my bike and it was gone. And uh, there was a neighbor across the street that uh, told us, my friend and I that was with me, um, who took the bicycle and where they'd taken it to. And I don't know how they knew that much detail, but they did. So um, we were able to go to this other neighborhood. It was several blocks away and was able to find the bicycle. So when I did find it, uh, I'd had to encounter about nine guys. And in encountering them, naturally, I wanted my bicycle because it belonged to me. Well, in that, uh, I ended up um, having to deal with some levels of violence. Um, I was I was relatively jumped on by them. Um, I ended up with uh, you know swollen mouth and a few other things, but I did get my bicycle back, um, and, and it all worked out from that. Now, getting back into that, Isaiah, 
I never developed, per se, a hatred for them. Uh, I don't know. I think God had me on a different track, even at that age, which I didn't understand at the time. But it allowed me to learn how to love. And this is not the easiest test when someone takes something that belongs to you. You actually feel like you've been raped when someone takes something that belongs to you. But I give God the glory even at that young age, even though I didn't understand everything that was going on, uh, just to get my bicycle and move forward. Uh, Fast forward a little bit in the story, I would see these guys out when we would go out, you know, to our little um, uh, adolescent socials and so on. That's what we called them back then. So in, in seeing them, I didn't retaliate. I didn't try to burn their house down. I didn't back then we didn't carry pistols and guns like they do now. So I didn't go through any of that with them. Uh, Matter of fact, over the course of time, uh, we developed friendship with some of them. Uh, And that's the way it was back then uh, for us. Uh, Fast forward now to 2021, you don't see a lot of that now. Um, One thing you don't see a lot of is um, children being raised in the fear and ammunition of the Lord. One thing you don't see is compassion and mercy toward your neighbor. So these are things that I really firmly believe that definitely need to be implemented, first of all, in the home. And of course, now with all the various laws we've had for many years with schools, uh, there's only so many things you can say or do in schools. I think that really hurts us because a lot of us were brought up, you know, to do a people right, treat people right. And then there's scripture in uh, Matthew, the fifth chapter, verses 43 through 48, that backs it up and lets us know that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And then if we can begin to do that, get back to that, it's not going to solve every aspect of bullying because you're going to always have the poor with you always. You're going to always have the wicked with you always. But the goal is, is to save as many as would be or want to be to have the mindset of love, concern, and compassion. Um, looking at empathy, I can empathize with young people that have had to go through bullying. Um, I was blessed not to have to go through it in my home, but I have seen it, you know, uh, in my own life, as I mentioned earlier. And um, just if we can just share what's, what we have, give what we have to others. Uh, the goal is to win some, as I mentioned the goal is to try to help others to to see the example of love. And hopefully, prayerfully, uh, this will make a change in some lives. And again, I mean, this, this is the goal. I mean, to try to be a positive living example as best as we can and guide these young people in a new and living way. Um, this is what we're called to do. This is what we're designed to do. And this is a goal we're asking God to help us to do day by day, Isaiah. Wow. Wow. You know, what you just gave us was the definition of positive youth development to its core by those examples of those role models. Kind of analyze what you just said. I have to pull a quote from Paul Tillich. Paul Tillich, he said this, we all feel rejected and hostile toward what has rejected us. We all try to appease it, and in, and in failing, we become more hostile. This happens often unnoticed by ourselves, but there are two symptoms which we hardly can avoid noticing. 
the hostility against ourselves and the hostility against others. One speaks so often of pride and arrogance and self-certainty and complacency in people. But we all know that it's going to take faith, and I'm saying this, it's going to take faith for us to begin to become whole again. Um, wow. Freedom Smith, before I ask you a question about telling the story, <laughs> say hi and tell us what you've been up to. I actually was on a, it just, we wrapped on a film set and I forgot. And I happened to look at my phone and I got to chase. I was like, ah, oh, I forgot. I'm generally, if I'm not at work, I'm on a film set. So, but yes. So that, that's where I'm at right now. Look, family, we're talking about a subject that is so crucial right now. It's so crucial. And we're talking about bullying. And we're talking about how bullying has affected our communities in, in health and mental health and even in life and death. I mean, some kids have even gone to, to different measures and taken their own life because of bullying. And even adults, especially you working in the film industry and in entertainment. Can you share a personal story with us about bullying that you experienced, you know, as a child, or even as an adult? That would add to this podcast. Well, for me, see, here's the thing: is that I was being bullied, I was being abused at home and bullied at school. So it wasn't as if I had this safe space at home in which I could say, "Oh, I'm being bullied." So I, I feel that I just was quiet because, you know, that's what I've been taught to do at home and really not be, uh, uh, that, I mean, so there wasn't an establishment in which, you know, your personal space was to be respected or those things. So when people would bully me, bully me at school, it was almost as if it was just an extension of what was going on at home. Give us a word. How could we teach our young men, especially, and our, and our young women, our young ladies, our girls, and our boys, to think themselves clear. And what I mean by that is, let me ask you this. In other words, going into these different schools that you go into, you have bullies there. You have bystanders there, and you have children that are being bullied. Based off of your perspective and with the heart of God, how would you... How would you relate to all three of those those young people? Well, Isaiah, I'm glad you asked that. Um, for me, personally, the way that I have to relate that to them is by being a consistent, positive, living example. Not of just mouth, not just to impress them with, with big words or whatever, but to make an impact in their lives. And the way we do that, we have to actually spend time with a lot of these young people because with a lot of young men, they're looking at that age, the teenage years, they're looking for acceptance. Uh, they're looking for affirmation. This is one thing I've learned being a male. We look for acceptance. And when we don't get it in the places we should, i.e. our homes and places, our churches, places of this uh, uh, nature, then we'll look for love in all the wrong places, per se. So the thing that we are to do as watchmen on the wall is to, the Bible says, let the love of God be shed abroad in your hearts. 
uh, heart in that particular scripture is not necessarily that thing pumping in your chest. That means in the attitude that you have toward other people. So they have to actually see that, but they have to be exposed to it, which means that they're not going to come to us. We have to go to them. This is why it's so imperative to have more people that are able, not going to put pressure on anybody, but to volunteer their time and their service and their experiences. This, again, to go back to what I said earlier, uh, this will help save some. Our goal is to save all, but we want to have common sense with that. But we want to be able to touch as many lives as God has assigned us to, and hopefully as we move off the scene of life that we've left an impact, we've left the legacy of good thinking, integrity, good morals, and good values in the lives of some. So the generations that I'll never see, some will also be helped. That was simply beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Bixie, thank you, Bixie and Carriage, thank you so much for adding so much value to this discussion and also to this this, this podcast. Uh, let me go to Dr. Marisela Jimenez. You know, this panel tonight, you people are just doing it big. You're making such huge uh, impacts in the community and in the nation. Dr. MJ, I call her Dr. MJ <laughs> for short. What, what are you doing these days, Dr.? Um, thanks, Isaiah. Well, since leaving Dallas and uh, relocating to Houston, one of the things that I was praying for, asking, you know, God, give me a platform to continue what's in my heart. And, and as um, Charles was, was talking, is helping families, helping children, especially helping people find employment, and especially for those underrepresented communities. And... Um, you know, since I, uh, I got here and settled in, and, and so I've I been working with some of the, um, my ISD and local community, but recently I joined a company called WorkFaith Connection, and it's workfaith.org, and their, um, their mission primarily is to help people find employment and get people gainfully employed, especially people who need a second chance and people who were displaced because of COVID. And so I'm in the middle of matching them with employers and helping them get out, break away from the cycle of poverty. So that's, that's just one uh, you know, praise to God that um, was missing since arriving here. And now, you know, God just put this company in my, in my, in my hands and, and I told them this is what I want to do and they have given me um, just the freedom to go and do what is in my heart and at the end of the day our goal is to um, give people that second chance and and empower them through scripture it's, it's work faith it's a Christian ministry so I am just very grateful for this opportunity well, listen, I'm going to tell you this. They are in good hands, okay? And I'm not just saying that uh, because you're family, but they are in good hands. I've worked with Dr. MJ. I've literally seen her take nothing and turn into something. Dr. MJ, Big C, Charles Scott, 
if you didn't care this guy, he, he made some very profound statements. And you, you can definitely hear his heart. You can definitely hear the heart of God through what he said. Based off your experience, because you're working in the field. What I mean by in the field, you you are working in the community. You are engaged. You are involved in community services and service learning. You name it. How will supporting young people with empathy and with compassion, why is this so important for the healing process to begin? Because we're, we're still in a pandemic. I mean, we're not out of it. It's still going on. How is empathy and compassion going to help broken people become whole again? And we really need to hear what you got to say, especially with schools, with school reentry in this 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 next school term. What are your What are your thoughts? Yeah. So you know, Texas. Um, we still, of course, have the. Uh, we we have fifty fifty people who promote prayer in, in schools. People who say no, keep it away. Uh, but as Charles was talking, I remembered Proverbs twenty two six: train it, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, um, he will not depart from it. And sadly, we have many families that are not necessarily following the faith, are not founded or grounded. And, and I think that's where many children are so um, vulnerable because they live in these communities, already vulnerable communities, and many of the parents may be practicing a specific faith, but in raising those children in, in the, you know, in the hope, in the faith, um, it's very, very important at that early age. Of course, we can bring psychology into the into the mix, and that's what a lot of times children may experience in schools. Um, but one of the one of the um, psychologists, Henry Frederick Harlow, in you know in the in the 50s through until um, he died in eight, 1981, conducted a research study, you know, with with uh, monkeys, and and he wanted to really understand. The, the damage and the harm that is done to children when they don't have that love and that affection and that that compassion and that uh, reinforcement of emotional safety. Okay, and and if within six months a child has been exposed to um, an unsafe environment of not feeling love, not feeling um, the compassion and the the safety, especially of that those early years, as they develop and as they grow up, there are so many behaviors that they're going to have to deal with to overcompensate, as you know, Charles made reference, seeking love in other places that is really not love and engaging in decision making that only contributes to the institutional um, cycle of of um, wrong behavior sometimes leading to to consequences. So one of the things that I think as the schools begin to prepare, of course, they have a very different agenda, but to bring the empathy and the compassion for children, um, it, it's going to be very important to understand where the children have been 
uh, and it's going to be different for every child because we have different demographics. Some of these children do have those families where they experience extreme hardship. You know, parents lost their jobs, and and maybe they lost their home, and maybe parents were separated. Um, a lot happened. Mental health declined for 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 even parents. Some of the research that I have been reading, and that um, leaked over into their children, and and so. One of the things that I was listening, just I think it was NPR, is that drinking and drug use also was a it became a problem because of the pandemic, and so who suffers? The children. Um, so really, you know, it's not just just like Carlos' um, experiment and research study about touch and in providing the safety environment or the safety emotional. Uh, assurance to the children, but it's also through the words that parents tell them, through the words that the teachers are going to say to welcome them. Um, so as the, the administration and ISD prepared to welcome the students, it cannot be business as usual. They're going to have to understand where the children have been and how they need to be, uh, how they need to be treated and, and so different interactions even among the, the, the kids, among themselves. And um, I think there's, there's going to be a great need for reinforcement on that compassion and that empathy, but it has to be very intentional and, and it has to um, be a collective collaboration between the parents and the, the schools and the community to help those children recover emotionally and psychologically so when they 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 develop and as they grow up they are not traumatized and they don't they don't have those behaviors into adulthood that are going to be consequential um, as I, as as they become adults. Wow, Dr. Marisela Jimenez, when you speak, I hear so much brilliance. I hear so much detail and consistency in what you said. And how you you answered the question and you gave me the answer. And what we need to be aware is in SEL and in social emotional awareness and competencies. That I believe is focused in our social economically disadvantaged adolescents. Matter of fact, I'm gonna have to pull from uh, Nina. Um, as it relates to your reflection, what are some actions that school leaders and teachers should take uh, to help our, our children obtain assistance and intervention in response to these bullying techniques? You know, I was a really thin, thin, very thin child when I was very tall. And I kind of felt like, you know, I'm not going to be anybody's victim. I knew that probably somebody, because, you know, people, you know, kids can be cruel. In my neighborhood would always say something about how thin I was and how tall I was and all that. So I was just determined that I was not going to be anyone's victim. So, of course, my way of handling it was a whole lot different. If anybody said anything, I would just attack them. You know, if it was a boy 10 times bigger or a girl or whoever, and that kind of, it kind of kept me out of that thing because it was like nobody 
would mess with me because I would attack them. I would physically attack them for saying it, it could be something small. And, I, and that's kind of how I dealt with stuff, you know, uh, growing up. But uh, now, many years later here working in the public school system, of course, we've seen um, bullying of every kind. You know, some of it is physical where somebody is, you know, maybe a bigger kid, a boy or a girl, wants to mess with someone physically because they know that they're bigger and they may be scared of them, or it may be emotional where they're torturing them every single day, calling them names, like she said, calling them ugly or fat or skinny or whatever it is, or just mentally torturing them because maybe they're, they think they're not as smart as they should be, or just doing it basically out of them seeing them as somebody weaker than themselves, you know, and making themselves look like this big, you know, big, strong bully and everybody is admiring them because they're putting someone else down or because they're hurting someone else and it makes them feel like they're the better person for whatever reason. But whenever it's happened, we definitely deal with it right away. We had... Uh, that I know of in, in, in the school that I actually was at, we did have a 10-year-old who did take his own life. And most of the time, the parents, are, they don't have any idea that anything's even going on. Uh, he actually kept a diary about stuff that was happening to him day after day after day after day. And then one day he, he kills himself, and then everybody's like, oh, why did he do it? You know, they're not paying attention. They're not communicating. They're not speaking to the kids when they come home, you you know, how was your day? What's wrong? You know, they're not even noticing that there's something different about the kid. There's something, you know, he's not eating. He doesn't ever want to go to school. He's not doing homework. He's depressed all the time. You know, how could they not see any of that? But this is what we have to do. We have to notice and be aware of, of their anything that's different or out of whack and communicating with them daily just to know what's going on with them. Is anybody bothering you? You know, and having that line of communication open between you and your child so that if something is happening, at least they won't be afraid uh, or reluctant to come to you about it, you know, or without making them feel like, oh, I can't tell my mom because then what will my mom do? Or, or maybe she'll get mad or maybe, you know, she'll, she'll be upset. Maybe she'll come to the school and embarrass me. Whatever it is, that, that line of communication has to be open so you know exactly what's going on with your child each and every single day. You know, um, we're told, you know, to, to go to the person who's doing the bullying we're going to get in their face, we're going to talk to them, and we're going to take whatever uh, actions we have to take, you know, depending on what it is that they did. If we have to bring the parents in, we have to bring, you know, whoever it is, but it's going to stop one way or the other. You know, you're going to leave this child alone. You're going to leave these girls alone. You're going to stop doing this. You know, we're definitely going to do something on our end. It's just that in certain areas, in certain school districts, you know, the parents in that area, they're just not really caring. I don't, I don't, I don't want to say they don't care about the kids, but, you know, if we call them and say, hey, your, your kid is getting bullied and you need to come in, you know, sometimes they don't even show up. You know, they may not even show up, which is unfortunate, but they're going to be dealt with, definitely, because we have a zero bullying uh, tolerance at any of the schools that I've ever worked in, especially at the school where I am right now. It, it, it will not be tolerated. We have had, like I said, this was about four years ago, 
a 10-year-old took his own life because he was being tortured every single day at school, and it just cannot happen again. You know, Nina, I love the way you knock these topics out of the stadium. <laughs> there was so much inspiration. Listen, we are out of time, but before we leave, let's let's talk about inspiration. What, what inspiration did we get from this discussion? Who wants to go first? What inspiration did you get from this discussion tonight? Well, again, I just wanted to say that, you know, I, I definitely keep a good eye on my kids, not only the ones in my class, but, uh, you know, just ones that I come in contact with. Um, if I see that somebody's being tortured, because I've seen what that's like, you know, seeing it happen to other people uh, who, you know, everybody's not going to be like me. I would just attack them and just deal with it, whatever consequences came up later, but all kids are not like that. And like you said uh, earlier, now they're bringing, you know, I, we've had some kids that bought weapons to school because somebody was messing with well he's messing with me and he messes with me today i'm going to bring my dad's firearm to school and i'm going to deal with it you know we've had that you know you get that and that's what's going on in the school today so the the way to deal with it is just to know about it and stop it right when it starts to deal with that person however you have to deal with them if they have to be suspended you know whatever it is do what you have to do to stop it before it gets, you know, too bad. Who wants to go next? Um, this is Andrei Isaiah. So what I want to say is continuing to encourage parents because uh, parents, it, they, 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 ha they hold a big responsibility, although it's not easy. But I think uh, as much as parents want to raise their children and, and give them food and clothing and, and housing, they also need to take the time to spend time with their children, you know, take time to spend with the children and get to know their children at an emotional level. And I think that's missing because parents are in survival mode. They want to work. They, many of them want to keep up with the Joneses and et cetera. But um, neglecting their children's emotional development, psychological development will be detrimental uh, into their adulthood. And I just encourage parents to take time to spend time with their children and get to know their emotional needs. Powerful. Thank you, Dr. MJ. Big C, what you got? Well, basically, Isaiah, this is what I have, man. Um, hearing everyone tonight, I want to. I'm grateful to be able to have participated such great ladies, such great women that have such compassion, uh, something that's missing. Uh, the inspiration for me is not to quit. That's the inspiration for me is if each one would reach one, then the entire world would be reached. Tagging along with uh, Dr. MJ, Parents, I know it's it's hard to to give yourself to the kids the time that they need, but somehow, some way, we've got to find a way to sacrifice. If it's not but ten minutes a day, that's not near enough. But we've got to we've got to learn as parents to give something of ourselves. First, number one is love. Number two is attention. Number three, and it's not in any particular order. They got to see us praying, the mom and the dad, or the mom, or whoever's in the home, and then we got to teach them how to pray. That's what's going to help make the change. 
No, we thank you. And Freedom Smith. My takeaway is that um, people, I, my takeaway is that if people would just be aware and don't be afraid to get involved and don't be afraid to speak up for a child. Sometimes you are the kid's last hope. Um, and I hear all the time, well, it's not my business, it's not my, but I feel like we all need to be concerned about one another. And I feel like if adults would take on that attitude, we probably have a, that would assist in a lot of less bullying. Our future is at stake, and I believe that there should definitely be um, a lot of emphasis, a lot of programs designed to catch these things at younger ages.